All I got to say is it's so good to have you all joining me over there because it felt a little strange being over there by myself for the last seven or eight weeks. <laughs> Luke ch chapter 16 this morning. Luke's Gospel chapter 16 as we continue our series through the Gospel of Luke. At this point, in Jesus' life and ministry, he really wanted to begin to create an eternal perspective in those that were following him. Because in a few days, the one that they had basically left everything to follow was going to be hanging on a cross and dying. And Jesus wanted them to start realizing that you and I have got to let the earth and the things of this earth get dimmer and the things of heaven and eternity get brighter. And therefore, we've got to begin to not put so much emphasis on earthly things and put way more emphasis on eternal things. Because those are the things that obviously we're going to be spending forever with. This life is just a, as the Bible says, a vapor. A puff of smoke is our life that appears for a small time and then vanishes away. So our, our primary investments, our primary focus, everything should be about eternity rather than the things of this earth. So with that said... I just want to summarize briefly what Jesus is trying to talk about here in the first half of the chapter. I'd like you to go down to verse 9. We'll start there. Jesus says, I tell you, and basically now he's summarizing the teaching of this parable that he gives in the first eight verses. I tell you, make friends for yourselves by how you use worldly wealth. And in the context, it's making friends for yourselves throughout eternity. Okay? Think about that. I can make friends for all of eternity by even how I use and invest my worldly resources and wealth? Absolutely, Jesus says. So that when, notice, not if it runs out, but when it runs out. What's Jesus saying there? He's saying there's going to be a time where our worldly wealth and resources and all of that is going to cease to matter. When you and I get to glory and in heaven, all that stuff and all that money and all that, that doesn't matter anymore and never will. So Jesus says, for the brief time you're here on this earth, make it matter. Invest it in eternal things so that you will be welcomed into the eternal homes. See, Jesus wants his followers to look at our use of worldly wealth, money, resources in light of eternal interests. And then notice what Jesus says in verse 10. The one who is faithful in a very little is also faithful in much, and the one who is dishonest in a very little is also dishonest in much. If then you haven't been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will entrust to you with the true riches? At this point, Jesus is saying that our use of money or worldly wealth or resources might be a small matter, but it is certainly not a trivial matter. 
Jesus says, if you and I cannot be trusted to handle material things, then how can he trust us with true riches? So notice, true riches are not anything of this earth. True riches are spiritual things. And every one of us has been entrusted with both. But Jesus says how we handle material things very much shows how we handle spiritual things. That's why Jesus goes on to say, verse 13, no servant can serve two masters. You cannot serve God and money, the end of verse 13. Jesus is saying here that our attitude towards our use of wealth, worldly resources, earthly wealth, and all of that shows really who we worship or what we worship. And then the Pharisees, who verse 14 says loved money and material things and earthly things, began to ridicule Jesus. The Bible says, though, Jesus said, you're trying to justify yourselves before men, but God knows your heart. God knows your heart. So with that, we're going to go into a very important passage of Scripture this morning. One that Jesus is literally going to pull back the veil for us as human beings and let us get a glimpse into what's on the other side after we die. Now think about that. There's only a couple times in Scripture where God basically pulls back the veil and lets us on this side of eternity see what eternity will be like. Okay? And why is he doing that? He's doing that because he wants to ingrain within us, it's got to be all about eternity. It cannot be about the here and now. And if we learn to lay up treasure in heaven rather here, here on the earth, for where our treasure is, there our heart will be also. If we learn to set our affection on things above, not things on the earth, actually we will be able to live to our fullest while we're here, you see. It's not that we ever can get so heavenly-minded we're no earthly good. If, if we actually do it the way God says to do it, our heavenly-mindedness actually makes us more earthly good, you see. But it's all about having this, how important eternity is over our earthly life and earthly temporal things. So notice, verse 19. There was a rich man who dressed in purple and fine linen and who feasted sumptuously every day. By the way, before I go even further, let me say this. Jesus here is simply choosing a rich individual, not because God is against rich individuals or those who have worldly things. In fact, the writer of this gospel, Luke, was in his day a very wealthy person because he was a doctor. And many of God's followers, from Abraham to Job to others, had a lot of earthly things. God is not against us having worldly wealth. What God is prioritizing is the wise management and use and investment of what we are given in an earthly way. So he's doing this 
to simply accentuate the contrast, if you will, that's coming in eternity between this rich man and then notice verse 20. At his gate lay a poor man named Lazarus. Now, this is not the same Lazarus that Jesus rose from the dead. This is another Lazarus whose body was covered with sores, who longed to eat what fell from the rich man's table. In addition, the dogs came and licked his sores. By the way, let me just quickly mention that dogs in Bible times were not those sweet little cuddly pets that we have in our homes nowadays. Basically, they ran wild, and they were scavenger dogs that literally just caused a lot of problems in the ancient world. And you see then in verses 19, 20, and 21, Jesus here is painting a very clear picture of the conditions of two men as examples of their life on earth. But now, look at verse 22. Jesus now is going to spend the rest of the story not talking anymore about earth and the conditions of their life on earth, but talking about eternity. Because Jesus wants us as his followers and servants to live every day with eternity in mind. And so he says, now. That's a very important word. It means there's been a change in condition. That, that whatever condition these two men had on earth, there's now been a dramatic change. Now. And can I say, there's coming that now for every last one of us. Now the poor man died. The rich man's also going to die because it is something all of us are going to experience at some time in our life. And death is the door into eternity for every soul. So the poor man dies. But notice now, unlike his condition on earth where he was laying by the gate of the rich man whose body was covered with sores, who was hungry. The dogs came and licked his sores. Now it says when he died, he was carried by the angels of God to Abraham's side. This speaks about the fact that God's people are specially cared for by God in our hour of death. The poor man wasn't alone or had no one to help him at this point. This is an illustration of what the psalmist wrote, David, in Psalm 23, that even if I would walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I won't be afraid because you, God, are with me. Your rod and staff, they will comfort me. And here it is very clear that God wants to teach us that I am with you to the end, and even the, the moment you close your eyes in death, I will be with you. In fact, I've even seen in my own life and ministry 
that many times, even before a Christian dies, they begin to transition from their focus of earth to the focus of heaven. They begin to see heaven sort of out there in front of them. They may even begin to see those who have went on before them. And that's exactly what we see here. Notice it says that this poor man was carried by the angels to Abraham's side. This speaks of intimate fellowship. Why Abraham? Well, because he was the father of the Jewish people, and he was someone that any Jew would long to, in a sense, see or associate or be in fellowship with when they die. But this also sends a much bigger picture to every one of us that the day you and I, if we know Christ is our Savior, we will be carried by God to his very presence. And we will see him one day, but also in that moment, we will not only see Jesus, our Lord and Savior, but we will be reunited with those who have went on before us that we know who are already there. For us, it may not be Abraham, but you and I, every last one of us, we have people that are already there that we know. For me, I have my dad, my mom, and my brother and sister, as well as many, many good friends and other family members that I know are in heaven there, and that one day I will experience not only intimate face-to-face -face fellowship with Jesus, but I will experience intimate face-to-face -face reunion and fellowship with them as well. And so will you. I want you even right now to think about some of those people that you know are there right now. One day, like that poor man, you will be carried into the presence of God and you will see them again and you will be with them forever and ever, never to be separated again. That's the hope for the one who knows Christ. But notice the Bible also says, and this is something Jesus says, the rich man also died and was buried. First of all, death speaks about separation. And it's not just separation from our body as if our, our spiritual part of us is separated from our earthly body. That's certainly true. But in this case, one of the reasons why this word is associated especially with the rich man is that he is now forever separated from that which he put his whole life and effort and existence into. Think about how terrible that would be. That, that everything you lived for, everything you thought life was, you are now eternally separated from, and it doesn't matter anymore, and it's never going to matter anymore. No wonder hell is a place of torment for many reasons. And one reason that it's such a place of torment is because those who end up there are separated from the things that they thought really mattered and were of great value, and now they find out they're nothing and they never will be. And the Bible says he was buried. Why is that important? Because it reminds us of the word of God even back after Adam and Eve sinned. And God came to them and said, because you have sinned, you will die. For out of the ground you were taken... And to the ground, in a sense, you will go back. You're but dust, and to dust you will return. Think about that. That's all we are. 
basically is dust that God has brought together in a beautiful way, in a magnificent way, but dust. And yet we have, you know, human existence spends so much time on the things that really in eternity don't matter, won't matter. And yet we spend all this time on the dust rather than what's really important. Isn't it about eternal things and investing in eternity? So notice in verse 23, in hell, the rich man was in torment. Hell is the place of eternal exile from God. And according to Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, hell is a real place. In fact, in the Gospels, Jesus talked more about hell and the reality of hell than he did the reality of heaven. Think about that. Jesus talked more about hell than he did about heaven. In fact, even in this passage, the poor man that was carried and ends up in heaven, you never hear that man say or utter a word. It's almost like he's good. And all you have to know is they're with God. They're good. But Jesus wants to impress upon his hearers about the reality of hell because he wants us to get an eternal perspective and understand that every living soul that you and I will come in contact with is an eternal soul. And we're either going to end up in heaven and glory with God forever or we're going to end up in eternal exile from God forever. So notice, Jesus says, and in hell, as he was in torment, he looked up and saw Abraham afar off with Lazarus at his side. Notice again something very interesting here, that the rich man now who's in hell is all alone, but not Lazarus. Lazarus is in fellowship at the side of Abraham. And something else that Jesus wants to impress upon us, that in hell or in heaven, we are fully conscious and aware of everything that's going on. There is no like, well, I, I don't really know what's going on. No, this man knew exactly what was going on. He knew exactly who Abraham was. That's why he addressed him. He, he knew exactly where it was. He could feel things. He could see things. He could sense things. I want you and I to come to grips with the fact that not only is hell, but heaven is a place where you and I are fully conscious and aware of everything. In fact, our consciousness, especially in heaven, is going to be heightened. And notice verse 24. He calls out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me. Notice that the merciless now sought mercy. And then he says, send Lazarus to tip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue because I'm in anguish in this fire. couple things. Do you notice what the rich man thinks about Lazarus? He still feels like this man, Lazarus, is an inferior to him. 
that he's just simply a servant that he can order around to continue to serve him even after he's in hell. Why? Because hell doesn't change people's character. Do you hear me today? Hell doesn't change people's character. In fact, Jesus said while he was here to a group that was following him, unless you believe that I am the Son of God, the Messiah, you will all perish and, listen, die in your sins. You see, for the Christian, we don't die in our sins. Our sins have been forgiven. We have been redeemed and set free. And through the blood of Jesus Christ, we are being delivered and saved and rescued, not only from the penalty of sin, but from the power of sin, and one day from the very presence of sin. But for those who reject Jesus Christ as their Savior, they will die in their sins, and they will spend eternity in sin. Think how horrible that is. Because guess what? Sin doesn't stay stagnant meaning that throughout eternity, all these sinners just keep getting more sinful and more evil because it's this eternal digression, if you will, that they're plunged into because they've chosen to reject God. So he's treating Lazarus as if, eh, this guy was nothing in earth must be the same in eternity. No. Again, change of condition. But Abraham said, child. Think about that. Abraham's addressing this rich man in hell that God is allowing this conversation to happen, which doesn't happen, to address him as child. Why? Man's not being very nice. The man rejected God because God wants us to understand that from his perspective, we're all still children. Even if we'd lived to be 100 earthly years, we're still children from God's perspective because a child is absolutely dependent on something or someone else for its existence. And you and I hopefully have gotten to the place in our life with God where we understand we are dependent upon God, but some human beings never understand that. They never come to grips with that. They are self-reliant. They are self-made people, and they don't need anything or anyone else, including God. And God is simply saying, oh, child, you're absolutely dependent upon me. You were dependent upon me, or you would have never even existed. And then he says this. This is really important. Verse 25. Remember that in your lifetime you received your good things. Did you get that? There's going to be remembrance in eternity. You get that, right? They're going to remember their life. Can I say to us, we're going to also remember our life, even as a Christian when we get to heaven, which is why I think the Bible teaches that there's going to be some tears shed in heaven. 
Yes, God will wipe away those tears and comfort us and, and we'll, we'll, in a sense, move past that. But I think for a time, there's going to be many Christians who shed tears when they get to heaven because they've remembered their lifetime. They remembered that unlike what Jesus is trying to teach here, they lived for the things of earth primarily, not the things of eternity. They primarily did not invest in eternal things. They were too focused on earthly things and their earthly life and holding on to it. They did not fight a good fight and finish the course that God gave them and hold on to the faith. They will not hear from Jesus, well done, thou good and faithful servant, because Jesus isn't going to pass out that affirmation to every last Christian. Remember in your lifetime, and Jesus is doing this for us as a favor to us to say, wake up church and start living for the things that really matter because one day when you get to the other side, you're going to remember the opportunities that you were given that you passed up on. Don't get there. Do something about it now. What are we living for? That's what Jesus is really saying here. What are we living for? And in a sense, the rich man got exactly what he wanted out of life. Even, you know, Abraham said, you received good things. Life set up for you just the way you wanted it to. You got everything out of life you wanted. Where's that for you now? What good is all the stuff you have now that you're in eternity? How were those things that God blessed you with managed and invested? Again, God's not against us having nice things and, and all of that, but he gives us these earthly things and resources and worldly wealth so that we will invest in eternal things and use our investments to make an impact for his kingdom and into the lives of other people that we can, in a sense, make friends and for eternity, who when we get there, they will welcome us into their eternal home. He also says, Lazarus, likewise, in this earthly life? Yeah, he experienced bad things. His earthly life wasn't very good. He was a poor man who had very little on this earth. But now, but now notice what it is. But now a great reversal is coming. He is comforted. But now he's comforted. See, to Jesus, he didn't emphasize the fact that that man lived his whole life the way he did on earth because in the end of it all, even if we live to be 70, 80, 90 years compared to forever, it's nothing. And Jesus says, now he is comforted. And so let me remind all of us here, with that being said from Jesus' own lips to his followers, this life on earth for you and I as a Christian is the only hell we will ever know. This is as bad as it gets. And even looking back on all that we're going through in this world right now, 
if this is the worst thing that I have to live through for all of eternity, I'm good with that, praise God. Because I got a glory of forever coming, and so do you. So do you. You see, Jesus said, one day the first will be last and the last will be first. Many of those in the world today that hold positions of power and prestige and influence and all of that, if they don't know Christ one day when they go to, into eternal exile away from God, the Bible says they're going to be forgotten. But those who are last, many of them like this poor man Lazarus that nobody even knew their name or acknowledged them in any way, that somehow they obviously had a relationship with the Lord and they loved the Lord and they had a great fellowship with the Lord. Oh my goodness, they're going to be honored as servants of the Lord and rule and reign with him forever and ever. A great reversal's coming. And so Jesus is saying, are you living for this life or are you living for the life to come? Because isn't that what really counts? Then he goes on to say in verse 26, besides all this, a great chasm has been fixed between us so that there is no crossing over, there is no uh, change of address, there is no such thing as purgatory, there is no change of mind, no. Once you and I go into eternity, our destiny is set forever. There is an unbridgeable span between heaven and hell, and this reality is a sobering finality to it, if you will. So the rich man, verse 27, said, Then I beg you, Father. Notice now, too, the rich man is the beggar, right? Not the poor man. Send Lazarus to my father's house, for I have five brothers to warn them so that they don't come into this place of torment. Again, being fully aware, my family needs an eternal perspective, and they don't have it. And so I need to get them that eternal perspective. I need to give it to them somehow. I think also part of the torment is that there will be those in hell who have a desire to warn others who are still alive but have the inability to do so because it's fixed. And I even think maybe the greatest evangelists who could ever come to earth would be those who've already departed and went to hell. They could come back and they could tell some people a few stories. And they could... They could you know, correct all that bad, you know, thinking and theology that I even grew up with around many of my friends that would make, you know, sort of fun of the reality of hell and say, oh, you know, when we all get there, it's just going to be a big party and we'll all be together and all of that. No, I think they would correct all of that bad theology, if you will, about hell. He doesn't want them to come to this place. Why? Because it's real. You and I have to come to grips with that, even as Christians, the reality of hell. Why do I say that? Because, again, as God's servants, you and I need to live to try to be light and make an impact and try to get people to come to Christ and to pray for their souls. Because, again, we're not just talking about earth. We're talking about forever and ever. 
That's why he says, go into all the world and make disciples. Because this is what we should all be living for. But Abraham said, they have Moses and the prophets. They must respond to them. So important. Do you notice what Abraham's saying? They have everything they need already to form an eternal perspective. The problem is they haven't responded. And can I just say to us, even as Christians, that is so important because God built us to respond to him. In fact, notice in verse 31, he replied, if they do not respond to Moses and the prophets, they will not even be convinced if someone rises to the dead. It's about our response to God and what God is doing and moving and working and revealing in our lives. God is looking for our response, a proper response to him, a fitting response, an appropriate response. Are we responding to God the way we should as God moves and as he reveals himself? God is always looking for a response. The rich man, though, notice what he says in verse 30. No, Father Abraham. Again, this is why we know that hell doesn't change someone's character, because here's this guy who's now in hell and who's still trying to correct Abraham. Now, you don't know what you're talking about, Abraham. I, I, I know more than you do. If someone were to go back from the dead, they would repent. And you know what Abraham's response is? And this is something even Christians sometimes have a hard time believing. The sufficiency of Scripture. Because Abraham said, if they don't respond to the Word of God, because basically the phrase Moses and the prophet simply refers in Jesus' day to the Old Testament. Jesus is saying, if they don't respond to the Old Testament, a miracle isn't going to change their heart because why because there's always been power in this book see we we forget even as christians how powerful the word of god is so powerful that jesus is even teaching and that was just the old testament add the new testament to it jesus is saying to any of us you've got everything you need to form an eternal perspective if you and I aren't responding to the word of God, then no miracle is going to change our heart. In fact, wasn't it true that there was a man named Lazarus that Jesus raised from the dead? And guess what they wanted to do to him? They wanted to kill him after Jesus rose from the dead. There wasn't this big flock of people that came to know God after Lazarus was raised from the dead by Jesus. Oh, and someone else was raised from the dead. Yeah, Jesus. And it wasn't like the whole world came to faith because Jesus rose from the dead. Why? Why is it then that people don't believe? You see, it's not because God hasn't given them enough revelation. It's be not because God hasn't moved in their life and, and given them enough evidence and all of that. That's never the case. There will never be a person that ends up in heaven or in hell that could have maybe done something better because God could have done something more. No, no. The reason people don't believe, the reason even why Christians struggle to believe 
is because our hearts are set on the wrong things. That's why we don't believe. That's why Jesus shared this very powerful message with his followers at this point in his ministry. Because he didn't want his followers' hearts to get set on earthly things, but on eternal things. He wanted them finally to realize that the eternity that's coming is way more important than this small, brief, little earthly life that you and I are going to live on this earth. It's what coming, what's coming for us that really matters. Not here. But how we live here and how we use the things that God has entrusted to us, that will make a difference in our eternity. It sure will. Let me say this too. I promise I'm going to wrap it up. Even as I look around an auditorium like this this morning with all of you here, you realize that we cannot determine how old any of us really are here today. Hey, wait a minute, I can tell you how old I am. I, my birth date. No, no. Our birth date doesn't tell us how old we are. Our death date tells us how old we are. Let me explain. Someone could be here today, sitting in this auditorium, 50 years of age. And you will die when you're 60. Guess what, then? You're pretty old. But there could be another 50-year-old person here today who's going to live to be 100. Then you're pretty young. And none of us knows when that day is coming. None of us. And as a pastor, I've done funerals for children, babies, teenagers, young adults, middle age, older folks. It doesn't matter. 35 years as a pastor, I've done funerals for every age group imaginable because death is no respecter of persons. And we all really don't know how old we are because we don't know when that time is that God's going to call us home. But here's what we do know. We know that today, God has given me life and breath. And that means that God has said to me, you still got time on this earth. Now, use it. Use it for what really matters and cultivate an eternal perspective. Let's stand and pray. God, I pray today that all of us, God, all of us would have a heart for eternal things. Because, Lord, we're all going to cross over into eternity one day. It's not a matter of if, it's just a matter of when. And when we get there, all that's going to matter as we remember our lifetime on this earth, is did we really invest in eternity? Did we really believe Jesus and lay up treasure in heaven 
and do everything we could while we were here to make an impact for the kingdom of God? Or did we get so wrapped up in our earthly life and earthly things and temporal things and physical things that eternity really didn't matter very much? God, I pray today that our eyes would always be on eternity because it's only when we truly live setting our affection on things above, not things on the earth, that we truly can live on earth the way you want us to. So God, help us to let go of the things in our life right now that don't really matter, that aren't that important, and help us to grab hold and take hold of the things that you want to place into our hands and into our laps and into our arms, the things that really matter. God, use this time to seal our hearts towards yours. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.